Good morning, everyone. So today we are continuing our series in prayer through the Psalms. And so we, we believe that prayer is essential to our faith and practice as, as believers, as followers of Jesus, because we know that he, he knows us, he reveals himself to us, and he draws us into relationship with him. He is a personal God. So we, we read his word, he speaks to us through that, and we speak back to him in prayer. And this is a, a process that ought to be regular because if we care about somebody, we, we speak to them, we have a relationship with them. And so we use the Acts prayer method, which you know, is, is on the back of your service guides every week. And as David said a couple weeks ago, it is not the only way to pray. We just find it a helpful way to make sure that we cover the different aspects of communication that are shown in, in Scripture. So we have you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and today we're going to be covering supplication. And so in supplication, we bring the needs of others and ourselves before the Lord. Because every person alive has needs. We are finite creatures. We are not infinite and absolute like our Creator. He's the great uncreated one. He is eternal. He's always existing into eternity past and always will be existing into eternity future. He doesn't eat. He doesn't sleep. He is God. He exists. But we have needs. We need food, water, sleep, shelter to continue living on this earth. And the Lord is the provider of all of these things. We see an example of this in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus you know, taught us to pray. He said, give us this day our daily bread. But he, he didn't give this prayer only to people who didn't have bread. This is for everybody because God is the provider of everything. But not only does he provide for our, our physical needs, he provides for our spiritual ones. It's not an accident that Jesus is called the bread of life and living water. It's not an accident that God you know, we find our rest in God and that scripture speaks of him as being a fortress. He provides for all of our needs. So we ought to seek the one, we ought to pray to the one who can provide them. We also live in a broken world. We don't only experience need, we deal with pain, suffering, and even death. The fall in Genesis 3 shows us that this is a result of our sin. But God provides for this too. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who God in the flesh came and he walked this earth. He subjected himself to the law so that he could fulfill it and die on the cross and pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven and live for eternity with him. There, where there will be no more death, no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears. We saw in, in John that Jesus, he, he sent the Holy Spirit as a helper, helper and a comforter until that time where we will get to be with him for eternity. So in the meantime, we, we live to the glory of God and we pray. God did not leave us alone in our pain and brokenness. So we pray for the needs of others. We pray for the needs of ourselves because the Lord is the provider of every good and perfect gift. We're going to be looking at Psalm 86 this morning. 
So let's pray before we, we go into this. Father, we thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you are personal, that we can come before you, God Almighty, and ask for things. So Lord, we want to ask for understanding, that you would help us to see you more clearly, that we would see how we can come to you in every circumstance. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 86 says this, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So this psalm, it was written by David. And we we don't know exactly when it was written, just that it was written when people were trying to kill him, which was a few times. So we really don't know when it was. It's called an individual lament psalm which just means it's a cry of sorrow and grief of one person to the Lord. So David, is he's down, he's hurting, because there are people who are seeking his life. So maybe it's the time where he was being uh, threatened by the Philistines, or maybe when King Saul was hunting him, or maybe even when his son Absalom was trying to usurp the throne. Or it could have been another time that we just don't have recorded in Scripture. But we know that David was a man after God's own heart. But he was still a man. He did mighty things with the help of the Lord. But he still had needs. He still experienced pain and suffering. Your life being sought, you know, people trying to kill you doesn't feel good. Kind of an understatement. So where would you turn if people were seeking your life? Where do you turn... When you feel like you don't have hope, where do you feel, or where do you turn when you feel depressed or down? David prayed. He turns to Yahweh, hoping, even expecting that Yahweh will turn to him. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. 
David knows that he needs help. He knows that he's not totally self-sufficient. He needs his life preserved and his soul uplifted. That's why he cries out, preserve my life. Gladden the soul of your servant. So he's going to bring his need to his God because he has a relationship with him. David forms his identity and prayer in it. He calls himself Yahweh's servant. And he calls Yahweh Adonai, which means master or Lord, as we have it translated. And so a good servant is going to be about his Lord's business. And a good Lord will care for his servants. So David establishes that he is, he's good in verse 5. And he knows that Yahweh will care for him. He will hear and address his needs. But there is a more important and higher appeal that he makes even than this. And that is to covenant. After the giving of the, the covenant on Sinai to, to Moses, uh, in, the, in the book of Leviticus, there's a, there's a summary of the whole law that was given. And it basically comes down to obey the law, which means be faithful to Yahweh, and you will be blessed and, and live in the promised land. Be disobedient, be unfaithful to Yahweh, and you will be cursed and you will not be allowed to stay there. And throughout this summary, the idea is repeated, and I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. So when David says, you are my God, he's making an appeal to covenant language. He's saying, you are my God. It's not, you're not the God that I just heard about growing up. You're not the God that, you know, we, we went to the local Yahweh gathering and worshiped. You are my God. You made a covenant with us. And I am one of your faithful ones, which is exactly what he says. He says, I am godly, or as some translations say, faithful. So if I'm one of your faithful ones and you made a covenant that your faithful ones would be blessed, Lord, bless me. That's what you promised. I'm calling upon you, the ultimate faithful one, the one who's abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. I'm calling to you. That's who I'm calling to. I'm not calling to, to Joe down the street. You keep your promises. So David has a covenant relationship. And it's not the kind of relationship that just allows him to have his, his foot in the door. It doesn't allow him to just kind of enter into the throne room. It actually allows him to come as he is, as a finite human and even a sinner. As people, we are not all-powerful. We are not all-knowing. We don't always understand what it is that's happening. And there are many psalms that express this. We see raw emotion and hard questions. Where are you, God? Why is this happening? Why aren't you acting? This doesn't seem like you. This doesn't seem like what I have read about in the scriptures. But God has compassion on us in our weakness. He hasn't forgotten that he made us from the dust. He allows us to come to him not with malice or bitterness, but with honest questions and pain. This, this covenant relationship, it allows David to come as a sinner. It's essential that Yahweh is forgiving, because otherwise, who could stand before him? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But with him there is forgiveness that he might be revered. This is important 
because we don't have to be blameless in a situation to come to him. The fact that David mentions the Lord's forgiveness here kind of makes us think as we're, as we're going through it, did he des- do something in this situation to deserve his circumstances? Why is God being forgiving important for him in this prayer? And maybe like in his situation with his son Absalom, where he, he was guilty, he didn't con- take control of the situation like he ought to. He didn't execute justice as he ought to, and he reaped what he sowed. But that doesn't matter. He can still come to Yahweh because Yahweh is forgiving. So if you've ever dug yourself into a hole, if you've ever messed up so badly that there wasn't any recovering, if you've squandered a hundred chances before and you still need another one, you can come to Yahweh. He is merciful. He is forgiving. And his unique and beautiful character is displayed constantly throughout the scripture. No God or so-called God has ever, that has ever been worshipped back then or today has ever compared to him in glory, power, or goodness. There is no God who has ever been at once as transcendent, as high above, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and imminent, close, nearby, and personal. He alone is the creator. There wasn't some divine cosmic battle that took the the bloody body of another god to form the earth as some other ancient Near Eastern uh, creation accounts held to. He alone is God. He spoke and creation formed out of obedience to his word. He is an all-powerful king. He speaks, it happens. He is transcendent. But yet, David is able to say to him, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble I call upon you, for you answer me. People made out of dust can have the ear of the all-powerful God. We can come to him, individual people, and he hears and answers our prayers. He is close to us. He is imminent. And we see this climax in Jesus Christ, who's called Emmanuel, God with us. Because he entered into our world, he took on the form of a servant, and he walks with us in our struggles. There's truly none like him. There's no one else that is deserving of our worship. So David, this this whole prayer, he's showing that his hope is in Yahweh alone. There's no other God that he trusts in. He's not trusting in anyone else to deliver him. And this power to save him is not only going to be witnessed and experienced by him. The whole world will one day see it and will worship their creator because of it. And this again shows that David trusts in the covenant promises of God. After disinheriting the nations at the the Tower of Babel, the Lord took some pagan from the land of Ur and said, hey, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And that was Abraham. And he said, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And later he goes on to make a covenant with Abraham, assuring, solidifying this promise. It's going to happen. And David knows it. He trusts in it. But the crazy thing is, the only way that's going to happen is if Yahweh acts. If he keeps his covenant with unworthy humanity after after their constant rebellion. 
And this is what David's banking on, that there is hope. This is where his hope and trust are. Yahweh is powerful. Yahweh is faithful and abounding in steadfast love. The kind of love that we need, the, the kind that gives us hope that our prayers will be answered. There is none like him, so go to him. Follow after him. Give your life to him. Serve him because he alone is worthy. He keeps every single promise he's ever given. He alone has the power to defeat evil, forgive sin, and overcome death. Cry out with David, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. You can come to him, plead with him that he will help you remain faithful to him, that your heart would, would be united in fearing or revering his name. So often, as, as Kurt was mentioning with, with the Lord's Supper, we can be tempted to follow after other things. We can seek other things. We can find satisfaction in other things. We can say, oh, I, I want to follow after God, but I kind of want to follow after this too. But we can pray that God would unite our heart to fear him alone, to revere him alone. We shouldn't be double-minded, as James calls it in the New Testament. So we turn to him in prayer. We remember how he's been faithful in the past, and we ask according to his promises. Plead that he give you the grace to trust in him alone because he cares for his people. This is what made David great. This is what made David a man after God's own heart. Not that he did the most amazing things or never messed up, because as we saw a couple weeks ago, he sinned grievously, but he believed God. He wasn't deserving, but he took Yahweh at his word and relied on him to keep his promises. So after, after all of this, after we finally get three-fourths of the way through his prayer, we actually see what the issue is. Insolent, ruthless men are seeking his life. In these last four verses, he draws this contrast between them and himself and Yahweh. He pits them against each other. They're totally opposite in everything. They are ruthless men. Yahweh is merciful. They do not set Yahweh before them. They are not faithful to him. David is godly or faithful. Unlike the reviling they're, they're bringing to him, he asked that God would be gracious to him. He asked that the Lord would show him favor and that they would be put to shame. He asked that the Lord would judge them but cause him to persevere through the trial. And he makes an interesting tie-in. In verse 15, he says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so he's making yet another reference to covenant. He's quoting from, the, from Mount Sinai, from uh, Moses' words. Or actually, forgive me, he's quoting the Lord's own words to Moses. So in Exodus 34, 6, it says, The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So the Lord is, is passing before Moses, showing him his glory. And this is where his, his face is transformed. It starts glowing because of that exposure. 
But it's the timing of this event that makes it so interesting. Moses is now for the second time receiving the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments because he had broken them shortly before this. The first time he was receiving the commandments, he was, he was up with the Lord for, for 40 days on, on the mountain, and his brother Aaron was, was supposed to be leading the people. And instead, see, he does lead them, but into idolatry. The, the people were getting kind of restless. They're like, hey, that Moses guy's been, been gone a long time. Hey, Aaron, make for us some more gods. They, they had just been miraculously rescued from Egypt out of slavery, and already they're turning to other gods. Make us, make us more gods. And Aaron, the, the ever-courageous leader, makes him a golden calf. And the Lord told Moses about this, and he, he threatened to destroy the whole people. He said, Moses, you know what? I'll, I'll make a whole nation out of you instead. They are faithless people. But Moses interceded. But still there was judgment. So Moses, he comes down from the mountain and he calls all the faithful of Israel. He says, whoever is for Yahweh, to me. And 3,000 of the faithless people who did not turn back to their God fell that day. It's like David's putting himself in Moses' place when confronted with unfaithful people. He knows that God is holy and just and that those who do not follow Yahweh deserve to die in their sins. But he also knows that Yahweh is merciful. So instead of calling the faithful ones of God to battle, he says, Yahweh, to me, come to my aid, comfort me, give me strength to stand against this attack of these unfaithful people. This is the judgment he's asking for on, on his enemies. That he would stay alive and that it would be credited to Yahweh because clearly he, if he has strength and if he has joy, if his spirit is uplifted, then it's an act of God. Yahweh doesn't, or David doesn't pray to Yahweh that his problems, these attackers, would go away. He prayed to quite literally live to God's glory. And if he did it while being comforted, his soul uplifted, then it would be a further testimony to God's power. When you pray, are you seeking God's glory through it? It's a hard thing, but God has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in his followers. We are not left alone. He gave us a comforter. Long after, after David, there was another servant of the Lord who came. But like David, he was well acquainted with grief and had enemies seeking his life among those who were supposed to be God's people. People who did not set Yahweh before them. The prophet Isaiah had this to say about the suffering servant. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We sang about this man of sorrows just this morning, 
Jesus came to establish the new covenant that was foretold that would bring forgiveness of sins. But even though he came to his own covenant people, most of them rejected him. We saw this back in John 1. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him and who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, enter into a covenant relationship with Yahweh and can come to him, ask for things on the basis of that covenant. Even more, we can come as children to our Heavenly Father. My my daughter knows that she can come to her daddy and ask for things. I'm her father. I'm going to give her I'm going to give her good things. So John, he throughout his his gospel, he portrays Jesus as one who's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And the shortest verse in the Bible in response to the death of Martha's brother Lazarus, who is also Jesus's friend, we get Again, the shortest verse, Jesus wept. While still being fully God, Jesus was a man who experienced grief, and this led him to pray. The author of Hebrews said, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus' ministry brought him among the the least of these. It brought him to broken people who were suffering, and this moved him to pray. He had compassion on those who were suffering. We have a great high priest who can sympathize with our weakness because he came as a man. But Jesus, the, the greatest who has, who has ever been and still is, had compassion even for his enemies. Even those who were mocking him while he was on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is one of the commands that he gave to his disciples before going to the cross. He said, love your enemies. Pray for them. Because persecution was assured. It was guaranteed. His followers will experience it. And it's this aspect that is the masterstroke of God's plan. This is the thing that stops cycles of sin. Loving others by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's this Holy Spirit, this comforter, this helper that Jesus sent after he ascended into heaven. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we are already seeing people from many nations worshiping Yahweh and not just the Israelites. The fact that anyone here in this room is worshiping Yahweh is a testimony to Jesus' power, to Jesus sending the Holy Spirit, to the Word of God working in the hearts and lives of his followers. King David was a man after God's own heart. But Jesus was far greater even than he. So we can confidently turn to the Lord in honest prayer 
on the basis of his covenant faithfulness, all for his glory. We can imitate David and the Lord Jesus. We can bring our needs and the needs of those around us to the Lord in prayer. Do you have doubts, fears? Bring them to the Lord in prayer. He can handle it. Do you struggle to come up with the words? Pray the Psalms. They are filled with prayers asking hard questions in faith. Look to the promises God has given in his word and trust in those. Be like David and pray that God will teach you his ways and unite your heart to revere his name. Pray that he will help you to not follow after other things that constantly fight for your attention. We're going to be taking communion here shortly. You can pray that prayer. You can pray that God would help you, that he would unite your heart to revere his name. Like David, you can pray on the basis of covenant and even a child of God. If you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, you are in a covenant relationship with Yahweh, the God of all the earth. You've been adopted into his family and can come to him as a son or daughter and make requests in the name of Jesus. You can be like David and ask that God hear you, that he would give ear to your prayer and watch expecting him to answer because he is God. We don't pray presumptuously, but expectantly because he is our father in heaven. When you have problems, trust that your father in heaven loves you, that he's using this, this situation, this circumstance, this need, this pain to draw you closer to him. And this frees us so that we can pray that he would be glorified in it. Even when we're going through hard times, like David, we can still ask for grace. We can ask to be comforted. We can ask for joy. In everything, pray. Pray without ceasing. If like those who were seeking David's life, you haven't lived a life where you set Yahweh before you, there's still hope. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Place your hope in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. We can do this today. We're going to pray and then, and then take communion. But if you, would, if you need someone to pray with, find somebody. Pray with them. We want to be a prayerful people, and we mean that. If you would like to pray with someone, please find someone to pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you show us steadfast love, persevering, and abundant, faithful Thank you that you offer us salvation when we do not deserve anything because we have sinned against you, a holy and great God. And that you offer us the, the privilege of coming to you as children. Lord, we ask that you would draw near to us as we go through, as we go through trials and tribulation, as we experience hurt and suffering, that we would remember that you dwell inside all of who believe. Lord, unite our hearts that we might revere you and be faithful to you. 
Help us to experience the joy that you offer for those who, who seek you as we go through the troubles of this life. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.